I am not a prophet, but sometimes I have prophetic dreams. Pumping once, now throwing long down the left side. Squatter has a piece going in for a touchdown. The Browns have won the game. <laughs> Cleveland, this is for you. Throwing deep down the left side. Squatter is open. He got the ball in the five-yard line. I tell you what, those people at left better come on back because this ball game is not over. My DBM brothers and sisters, I'm a Browns fan, wishing that I was a fly on the wall in Berea. <laughs> My name is Thelonious7, and you, you are listening to Straight No Chaser on the DBN Network. Uh, today, I find myself live on the streets of my city, out at a bar, a local watering hole with my friend. We'll call him JB. JB, how are you doing today? I'm doing very good, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, boy, oh boy, <laughs> I thought that I would be able to take some time off for the next couple of days and, and not do any shows and spend some time with the family a little bit like the front office does, you know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, yet again, the Browns are redefining the NFL calendar with transactions and rumored transactions. At first, it happened uh, in the post-preseason period. You know if I remember I'm talking about that before, kind of the pre-regular season period. Uh, and now it's the deadline drama. And I've been telling you since week five, once the Browns fell to the Jets, I, I knew this was coming in some way. There was going to be some hell to pay at 0-8, and, and now you see what's happening. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, we can recap what happened over the last, the last 96 hours, yeah? Okay. So, first, of course, was the news that Jimmy Garoppolo uh, was dealt to the San Francisco 49ers for a second-round pick. Uh, what did you think about that move? Uh, first of all, great pick by uh, a great move by the 49ers at that point of the season because Brian Hoyer is not really the savior. Uh, I would have loved him here in Cleveland, or back at home in Cleveland, but didn't work out. So, uh, yeah, not really much we can do about that. Yeah, definitely upset that Garoppolo wasn't able to come to Cleveland, but uh, from what I understood, and you know, as much as there is a lot of gnashing of teeth in Cleveland, I'm kind of surprised that people are so upset about this because it seems like Jimmy Garoppolo never was really offered to the Cleveland Browns, you know? Yeah, we didn't really have a chance on him. That's, if he doesn't want to play here in Cleveland or back at home in Cleveland, there's nothing we can do about that. Yeah, this is exactly right. So for me, I felt like as much as people got upset about this, uh, the, the reporting from work, I mean, even my, my natural inclination seems like it was a little bit like what happened last year with the Browns when they got Jamie Collins from, from the Patriots as well. Um, it seemed like there was like a no-bid process. The, uh, the hoodie decided that he's going to deal this guy to the Browns and this they agreed in compensation, done. And other teams would have wanted to take Jamie Collins as well, but there was no really bidding process and they agreed to compensation and that was just pretty much it. Yeah, that's, yeah like I said, there's nothing really we could do about that. It just happened. Yeah, just happened. So in any case, uh, people got upset about it, but that was the first thing. But really, once this happened, a lot of things kind of cascaded through the organization. Since there was quite a bit of sour grapes in Cleveland, it seemed like Hugh Jackson really uh, had a strong interest for Jimmy Garoppolo. And when the news came out that he went for such a reasonable compensation, uh, a reasonable amount of compensation to the, to the uh, 49ers, a lot of stuff went down after this. And 
The first thing was, of course, you heard about um, the rap sheet piece where Ian Rappaport got emails from some of the coaches from the Browns. Yeah, I still don't believe that's true, though. I don't. I, I cannot believe that some coach would send an email to a reporter and saying, "Hey, you know what? This and this happened. We really wanted this guy. I don't think that's gonna happen." Yeah, I, I'm telling you, though, man. He had redacted pieces posted on Twitter. So, I mean, I, I mean, he could have forged it. I mean, whatever he could have faked it. But who's gonna fake it and then put pieces up on Twitter of faked information? It's just like. I don't know. I think that it's probably true. In any case, definitely a very you know bad spot for the Cleveland Browns, especially in this bye week period. So after the rap sheet piece, there was the the other incident with Silver uh, when uh, Hugh Jackson's daughter got into a Twitter discussion with her, uh, with him, and he seemed to she seemed to indicate that there was a lot going on, uh, a lot going on with the rift with the front office, and the front office didn't seem to be holding up their end of the deal, going to home at work or going home from work at an early hour. And I don't know what you thought about that. Um, you know, since we're not living in Cleveland anymore, uh, I don't think they going uh, <clears throat> going home from work at five. Because, you know, we, we're not doing that. We're sitting in a bar, <laughs> still working. Well, it's true. It's actually funny because a, a lot of people commented on the, on, the, on the website talking about the fact that it's not necessary for people to, like, actually be at work after five anymore with um, the digital age. People have their cell phones and can work and take phone calls from there, right? That's true. That's true, yeah. So it just seems like something that a really old or out of touch old fogey might try to say as the reason, like, these guys are not here doing work while we're here busting our tails i'm like to me that's the front office this isn't really their time for work i mean like if it was the draft time and they were going home at five o'clock okay yeah that's legit but i mean during this part of the year like that it just doesn't seem like there's as much uh, like crucial deadline stuff that you have to do that you couldn't do on your cell phone maybe i don't know yeah exactly that's that's exactly what i was thinking but if you go on if you go home by five at this point of year I'm 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 okay with that. If you have done your part, you know. Additionally, you can, you can also do like you said. You can you do know, the stuff at home at your laptop on the cell phone. You know, you Nate, can talk to people in your free time. That's cool. You know Nate Zagura, right? Oh yeah. Okay, Nate Zagura actually said that he tweeted somewhere that he never he does like the dog bowl show like once a week or whatever some show that he stays there till eight o'clock and he said that every time he's there that the the front office staff is always there at eight o'clock so nate zagura went to defend the front office in this situation i don't know if you heard about that no i haven't heard about that yeah to me i was really surprised to read this and that this dude i mean he's supposedly a neutral party i mean as much as a neutral party as that guy can be and he's really kind of going on the side of the front office uh, trying to defend their uh work ethic in this situation situation so there's that too yeah and it's also that uh, who, who told the reporter that that it was Hugh Jackson's daughter Appa- well, apparently apparently Jackson's daughter and the coaches insinuated this as well in their emails okay that, that the front office wasn't holding in the up at their end of the deal in terms of getting work done and it was evidenced by them not being able to pull off a deal for Jimmy Garoppolo they weren't on the phone that's what they were saying okay so uh, as in, I mean, that's what was being said. So at this point, as heated as things had gotten, you had to feel like there was going to be a response from the, from the front office with Haslam or something based on these exchanges. But, you know, these, as bad as these things were, they were nothing in comparison to the bombshell that happened next. It was an absolute bombshell right on the cusp of the trade deadline. The Browns tried to trade a second and a third for A.J. McCarron 
uh, from a rival uh, Cincinnati Bengals. Man, what did you think about that move? Uh, I'm actually glad that the uh, that the trade didn't fall through. That it, that it fell through? Uh, didn't it, that it didn't? Uh, it, yeah, it did fell through. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, me too. Sorry about that. English is my second language. <laughs> yeah. no, but I do, apologize. You do a great job, though, really. Thank no, you, man. I, I actually am surprised that it, I, I'm happy that it fell through too. But what do you think about the compensation for 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 um, that was you know? I think the compensation would have been way too much. Uh, a second and a third rounder for, which is supposedly a backup, is way too much in my opinion. Mm. I think. Uh, uh, on, on a good day, a third rounder, maybe a fourth rounder would have been okay, uh, but not at this point of the season. I think um, at the time that they cut Brock Osweiler, a few days after yeah. that, that would have been a, a good time to, to do this trade. Yeah. But right now, right before the trade deadline, it just sounds like a very, a very a bad move. Yeah, you know what? I would say, like, if... If the Bengals had tried to shop McCarron at the trade deadline, I, I would expect them to receive about a fourth round pick, a third round pick. That seems about fair. But you have to understand that at this point, you have a team that's seeking his services and a team that's going to be without his services in the middle of the season. This is going to require some extra compensation in order to facilitate this move. And to me, I think a second and a third for this, if you really wanted to do this, it seems, I mean, it's a little bit steep, but maybe it's about right for what this is, you know? But I guess for me also, what really bugs me about the move mostly is what you, you kind of elucidated to it before, that, that alluded to it before, is the timing of the trade. Like, at this point of the year, why are you making this kind of a move exactly. to get your 0-8 team, like, one or two wins? Like, it, and then in the end, you're going to have to draft a player to replace him with less capital. So it's like it doesn't really make sense for the team in the long term to make this move. It doesn't make any sense. And at this point in time, why would you do? Uh, why would you trade for a backup? Because I, that's what, in my opinion, AJ McCarron is. He's clearly just a backup. He's not. He's not a setting quarterback. And I don't think that his value is worth uh, a second or even a third round pick. It's it's interesting that you say this, man. I I actually think that. Um, McCarron would have been a huge upgrade for the Browns at quarterback. So I can kind of understand, like, I get why Hugh Jackson wants to make a move like this at this time. Like, watching Deshaun Kaiser throw red zone pick after red zone pick, I'm sure he'd like to have a little bit more consistency and with just slightly more consistency, the team could win games this year. But I don't think that's going to be good for the whole development of the team. Uh, because at this point in time, I really would like to see Deshaun Kaiser play a lot more. And I want to see what he can do. Yeah, I don't know, man. To me, I think what would be good for the team is to win some games. Right now, they need to win more than the fans need to win. Like, people need a win. And I'm not really sure if Hugh Jackson feels that the team can win going into the rest of the season. So maybe he has to do what he has to do to get the team uh, the kind of feeling that they need to have going to the offseason that they're actually going somewhere. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question. But for me, um, it's been crazy, not so much the trade and the trade didn't work. You know, that was kind of interesting. But to me, what's even more bizarre was kind of the fallout that happened after the trade went down. I mean, people yeah. kind of trying to just explain the back channels, what really happened. I don't know if you got to read any of this stuff. I did, actually. And uh, I know that the, 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 the uh, paperwork wasn't filed on time mm. to actually... Uh, 
get the deal done. Yes, yes. And in my opinion, I think that the front office did that on purpose. Yeah. Because uh, I think they had remorse after they pretty much sorted out the whole deal. And in my opinion, they figured out, you know what? AJ McCarron is not worth the second and third rounder. We shouldn't do this deal. You know, it was actually really telling. I was listening to Cleveland Browns Daily today, too. And one of the first things that Zagura said on the show was the best trades, that some of the best trades are the trades that never happen. Yeah. And that's, I was like, Ee, that was kind of an interesting thing for him to say that, like, hey, you know, it was bad that, you know, everything went down with all the dysfunction. But really, ah, man, thank goodness that trade didn't happen because it was awful. And I, I don't know, like I said, I don't think the trade was as awful as most people think about it. Like, I personally think that the worst thing about it is the timing. And I think the timing is actually kind of a pretty condemning uh, fact of the situation. That it looks like they're panicking in this spot. So, um, anyways, like, of all the backstories and all the pieces that I read, none of the pieces did the, the job that Chris Pocorny did at Dogs by Nature covering the story. And he's always there to do, you know, really great jobs of covering some of these touchy, some of these stories that have a lot of a little bit of nuance to them. So I'm going to go in, for me, I'm just going to go ahead and go through one of these pieces and we can talk a bit about what, he, what what's actually being discussed here. So so Chris Pocorny seems to uh, insinuate in, in this piece that the whole move uh, to acquire A.J. McCarron was the work of Hugh Jackson, that Hugh Jackson was the guy to go out and do it. And all you think about this, you think it makes sense that Hugh Jackson um, would be a person to overrule his front office in order to acquire a quarterback? I don't think that's in his personality, to be quite honest, to overrule his front office. Are you I don't, serious? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I've never met this guy. I never had the conversation with Hugh Jackson myself. No. But I, I, I don't. It, it makes a lot of sense because AJ McCarron is on on the Bengals roster right now, and Hugh Jackson was obviously the offensive coordinator for the Bengals for a long time. Yes. So it makes a lot of sense. But yes, definitely he's a guy in the know in terms of who he's acquiring. So I definitely I feel pretty good about this part of it. But at the same time, when you're if you can't find consensus with the front office people, if you have a discrepancy like this, and it gets to the point where like one person needs to go to the owner to try to get things going around, and to me, I feel like this is a sign of really really bad dysfunctional situation. And I feel like the structure in general of that front office definitely lends itself to situations being resolved in this manner where the arbiter, the judge and the jury of what who is right in a situation, it isn't the football people or even the capologist, the benevolent capologist, Sashi Brown, it ends up being Jimmy Haslam. And in the end, Jimmy Haslam is shouldn't really be the guy making these types of football decisions for, for the organization. Yeah, but on the other hand, I would say the only football guy in... in the whole franchise right now when it comes uh, not to players uh, is Hugh Jackson because Sasha Brown isn't the football guy yeah they've been saying that Sasha Brown is an analyst guy yes analytics that's his thing Paul De Podesta analytics and baseball yeah and uh, Jimmy Haslam and uh, what's his uh, what's her name Uh, D Haslam D good old Queen D Queen D yeah I don't think that they're real football people. No. You know, I'm, I'm not a football dude. No. I, I like football. I like watching football. I like to talk about football. But uh, I don't want to make these decisions. Yeah, I mean, and I think I, don't, I, I could make these decisions. But. Yeah, but in the end, that's that's one reason why they, they talk a lot about having a czar come in and to take over for... Um, um, 
I don't know, for some of the football at, uh, you know, decisions and some of the, the having a czar come in like this to come in, maybe Peyton Manning or whatever to take over these roles. I, I appreciate, in the end, whatever decision has to be made to keep Jimmy Haslam from being the final arbiter is fine. But for me, I feel like the, the analytics department, these guys should have a say in these decisions. And I feel like their move in this was the right move. People, the fans seem to agree too. They think it was a bad trade. And there, a lot of the people that I've seen, that the people that I trust, really are happy that it didn't in fact go through. Yeah. Yeah. So in any case, like that was something that I thought was really interesting about this. Additionally, um, it said that there was a piece from Mary Kay Cabot from the Plain Dealer that said that Haslam signed off with the trade because he knows Jackson is trying to win football games and there's a lack of talent on offense. Now, for me, this goes back to something I was talking about a couple weeks ago when I was saying that um, the the front office and uh, Jimmy Haslam really should not be concerned so much with the wins and losses. I mean, the wins and losses affect Haslam's bottom line and that the fans might not come out in such big numbers. But ultimately, if you stick with the plan, not worrying about wins or losses now, you're going to have a successful um, plan execution in the future and you're going to have the long-term winning you're looking for. So in some ways, Haslam shouldn't be concerned. The front office shouldn't care about it. But Hugh Jackson, the coaches – the team and the fan, we're all like affected by this, this situation with this team, uh, much more than uh, what what the front office or uh, Haslam should be, yeah? So for me, I don't know, I always thought that that was kind of an important thing um, uh, for that Hugh Jackson cares about winning and he's going to make a move that's going to try to win now because winning is something that's important to uh, the coaching staff and important to the fans and the team and it's not something that the other people need to con the decision makers concern themselves about as much, you know? Yeah, but I, I don't think we're in win right now mode because we're in a rebuilding mode again. Agreed, agreed. And uh, that's why I'm, I'm really glad that the, the whole deal fell through yeah because that, that would have been amazing it would have made a lot of sense if we were being like uh, four and four right now I mean if we were four and four I don't think we have the need to do this anyways I mean exactly, something's working yeah. you know but at, at O and a it doesn't make like I said going for those extra one or two wins um, it doesn't seem like it's really the, the value is really there I mean getting to the playoffs with that yeah if you can make a move like that it makes a difference yes I get it but it doesn't make sense to me in this in this way. Additionally, there was a piece by Landry Football uh, where they were, where, where one of the writers was saying that members of the Browns player personnel department felt that while the front office didn't want to execute the trade, they did the work, but screwed up the paperwork, causing the deal to fall through. So what you just said was right, that the front office intentionally sabotaged the deal to make it fall through. What do you think about that situation? Um, I think that it, it still shows a, a dysfunction in the front office because <clears throat> if you don't want to make the deal in the first place, why did you, why did you start making the deal? Yeah, indeed. That, that's a good question that, that I would I would like to ask to the front office. Why why why, why would you start making this deal well, in the I, first place? I mean, you've had a boss before tell you, hey, look, do this. I know it's wrong. You know you don't agree. It's against the plan, but do it. Do what I say. I'm the boss. Yeah. If someone tells you this, I mean, what, what's your what are your options here? Well, you don't really have an option except for get fired. Yeah, I guess. And we're doing doing what you're supposed to do, or being what you're told to do, and that's it. Hmm. 
and another thing that was funny was that a lot of there are a lot of reports coming up from other teams that were saying that uh, the the process Sashi Brown would clearly be aware of the process and what needs to be done to complete the, a trade. So the fact that it's not being done properly does seem to indicate that this is in fact true, which is it sounds about right to me too. When I heard the information, I thought like somebody messed up. It wasn't an accident. I mean, a guy like Sashi who trades as much as he does, can you imagine him making a mistake like that? I don't know. In any case, on a Tuesday, uh, let's see. Oh, no, that's the, the piece that we were talking about for a second. But it was, um, uh, they were talking a little bit about exactly the ins and outs of why the email didn't get through. But um, uh, what was I going to say? This last piece I wanted to talk about was, One thing that was really crazy is at the end as I'd start thinking about this, you have to wonder if Jimmy Haslam is going to actually fire somebody because of this big, this, this big uh, gap. What do you think? What do you think would happen? Uh, I don't think anybody's going to get fired until the end of the season, to be honest. <clears throat> because if you fire somebody right now, I'm, I think it would send the wrong message because then the players and the fans, the whole organization would think, okay, we're going to rebuild again by the end of the year because somebody fucked it up. Would you fire somebody from the front office? Uh, from the front office right now? Mm, probably not. No. I would stick to the plan Yeah. and keep going with it. Okay, yeah. This At is... least to the, to the end of the year and uh, then reevaluate everything that happened during the season. Because we've been doing this for I don't know how many years. I've, I lived in Cleveland in 2008 and ever since I've been a huge Browns fan, and it's been really, really, really disappointing this far. No man, you're totally right. But we have, <laughs> and I'm saying we because I'm a, I'm a huge Cleveland Browns fan. I haven't missed a game in in, in ages. Okay, there there were actually six choices at the end of this of this article by Pokorny, where he has a poll and. In this poll, there are six choices. One of the ones you clearly indicated that you would take, which would be stay calm, stick to the plan. They said fire Sashi Brown, fire Hugh Jackson, fire them both, fire someone to set an example, which I think is kind of an interesting choice, and then fire everybody uh, as, as a decision. So um, in this, in this poll, um, it seems like most people would choose to either stay calm and stick with the plan or they would choose to fire Sashi Brown. Like most of the people would, as more than half of the people would choose one of these options. The fewest people ch stick with fire Hugh Jackson, which to me, I don't know, I, that doesn't seem like nearly as bad as not. But what if you had to choose between one or the other, choose between firing Sashi or firing uh, Hugh Jackson, if they couldn't work together, what would you do? Well, uh, I wouldn't, wouldn't fire any of those. But if you, but but if, if, you if had I had to, to, if I had to, it, it would probably be uh, uh, Sashi. Yeah, you would, you would. I, I, I you. would fire Sashi. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's, I like you. I like you, Jackson, a lot mm -hmm. as a coach, as a person, from what I've seen in interviews and uh, how he conducted himself. I, I really like this guy, but and I, I don't think that his play calling is as bad as some people say. And on the other hand, if you want to, if you want, you can find GMs all over the world, everywhere. Yeah, but finding, but a, finding, a good, finding a good the, GM, a good find, GM. Yeah, it's but see to me like this organization is like a team. 
You know, and I, I want to believe that this team can win. Personally, if I had to pick one, and, and I said this before at the very beginning, I would definitely stick with, with Sashi. Because for, for me, it's like what happened in Atlanta. I mean, with Dimitriov, he, he was there for years and years and years. And because this architect can stay in one place, he can build a system that can withstand some coaching changes. When one coach comes in, he can come in and actually do something special. You know, even though the team... You know, the, the team might have, you know, some different pieces or whatever. Having the same architect in place is what really makes the team consistent over a long period of time. Hugh Jackson, in my opinion, I'm not trying to say that he's like he's any coach. He's a good coach. But another coach could come in and coach this talent as well. He's not the only person who could do a job coaching this team. I kind of feel like Hugh Jackson's kind of been everything for the Browns lately, and I wouldn't think it's easy for them to move on from Jackson, but if it's me, I think it's probably easier to move on from Jackson than it is to move on from the entire set of a team that they've been able to construct in Berea. Um, yeah, but that's what the Browns have been doing for years and years now. No, they actually, no. Coaches, they, 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 fire, coaches. they fire coaches and GMs. Yeah. That's the thing with the Browns. If they would just stick with the GM, if they would have stuck with Banner or, you know, you know, not that I wanted them to stick with those guys, mm -hmm. but stuck with Heckard or whatever for some years, and he has a chance to develop his scheme and his method and his, you know, for me, they would be better off with that. I mean, to me right now, if I have a problem with Hugh, Hugh's game management's been awful. I feel like Hugh's an older dude, and so he kind of needs to win right now. In some ways, he's not really wired to sit in a situation where he's sacrificing his like credibility as a as a, as a leader to, to you know so this um, front office can figure out what it's doing to get him a team that he can win with. If he would have came in and coached Patton's guys, he would be at 500 right now. But in the that's not what happened. You know, Patton's guys are gone. Now we stuck with people trying to build build him a better team, but it's gonna take him time. If I were if I were the front office, I would want a younger dude. That's what I would. I'd want a young uh, McVay, I don't know, some young dude to come in and sit here and and, and for me, really, the guy they, they missed on on was Chud. Man, I get so sad thinking about Chud. That's the guy they need for this team right now. Chud. I know you you're a big fan of Chud. Chud. <laughs> okay, yeah, but he's gone. And yeah, shut up about him. Yeah. <laughs> I think that we should uh, the Browns should stick with uh, Hugh Jackson for this season and the next season, that's my opinion. Would be nice. And because consistency, I think, is key right now. Would be nice. No, I, I, even though they're losing a lot of games, or pretty much all of the games right now, but it, I think that's that, was come, uh, that simply comes with youth. Yes. We have the youngest roster by far in the whole NFL. Yes. Yes. I mean, I actually agreed with you. I stuck, I stuck with my choice on the poll was stick with everybody, stick with the plan, try to go with it. Like, it worries me that, like, I feel like at this point, I, I have a really hard time believing that they're actually going to be able to stick with it. It seems like they may have burned some bridges or crossed some points that they might not be able to return from. So we'll have to see moving forward in the next couple of weeks if they are indeed able to stick it together, keep it together, or if they're going to go the same route that they've gone in the past and, and get rid of everybody. Um, one thing I didn't talk about, and this is what I want to touch on. I mean, it's unfortunate we only have like a second to talk about this because it's such good news. But reinstatement of Josh Gordon, man, man, how do you <laughs> how do you feel about this, man? Oh man, I know you're a big fan of Josh Gordon. You know, you, man. Oh, yeah. you love this dude. Josh Gordon is my favorite player ever, and I think in some ways he's rivaling LeBron James. But I don't think I've ever felt as happy watching a player play football as I, as I have Josh Gordon, man. I absolutely love this guy. I'm pleased as, as Peaches that he's actually able to come back, uh, how hopefully by the end of this month, 
and uh, I'm looking forward to see what he's going to be able to do in the Browns uniform. It, uh, man, I would love to see this guy back on the roster and play. He's been phenomenal. When he was on the field, he was really, really, really good and probably the best, the best receiver the Browns had ever. Dude, do you ever like to sit and like watch Josh Gordon video? Like, dude, I, I just love watching the game. I mean, like, so many of the games where he had amazing performances that are in Browns losses. I mean, the, the Jacksonville game. But the game that for me was, is crazy is the one that he just torches uh, New England in New England. Remember this game? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh God, yeah. man. This dude. He, Beautiful. Beautiful. No, no, other player, no other player makes me, like, I, I don't appreciate any athlete the way that I do, Josh. He's, I'm, I love this guy. So happy he has a chance to come back to the Browns, and I'm looking forward with bated breath, waiting to see what happens. Hopefully he comes back and he makes a difference. Yeah, I, I really want to see him come back to, to real life from, from substance abuse. Indeed. That'd be Indeed. Just, you know, not just as a Browns player, but just as a person. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, to come back from that and recover, that'd be really good to see. Yes, indeed. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping the best for Josh. Hopefully he has a chance to come back and prove himself. I know it's a situation with him that it's really his last chance to do anything. Oh, yeah. If he doesn't, if he's not able to get back from this now, oh, you done. know, and you know this guy's probably in a ton of, a mountain of debt dealing with child support payments, you know, and whatnot. And you got to hope that he can find a way to keep it straight uh, for, for, his, for his own personal future. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, and, of course, and, of course, we hope that it, we wish him the best and hope that he can maintain his, his control of some of the problems that he's had in the past, for sure. Yeah. And, by the way, all the best to Joe Thomas. Get well oh, soon. Oh, God, yeah. Same, same, same here for me. That was definitely a heartbreaker, for sure. Oh, man. To watch this guy go down. And it was almost, like, surreal thinking about the Browns having to worry about pressure coming from the left side, right? Oh, man. A little shocking. Okay, well, thanks it for... Was, that, was, that was really uh, oh. quite hard to see, by the way. It definitely was. And Josh that was, Thomas going down. Was, did you read the 10, article? 10,000 snaps in a row. Yeah. Did you oh. read the article on Monday Morning Quarterback about this? Oh, yeah, have no, a check. Ch check it out, man. He goes into detail about what happened, how it was for him to do it, and then talked about walk, watching the game uh, from the States that was in London. He was actually excited to go, and his wife went. He didn't get to go to the game. He had to stay home because of the surgery. Oh, man. Yeah, kind of a messed up situation for him. Okay. Well, with that, I think I'm going to wrap up the show, okay? Guys, thanks for taking the time to listen to this and all the shows at DBN. Um, leave a comment in the comment section. Uh, that was your dose of the straight truth. You've been listening to Straight No Chaser. I'm your host, Balloonie 7. And thank you, by the way, uh, JB, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And as always, go Browns. Yeah, go Browns. Take care, guys. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.